Dr. Luis Sandoval is accomplished in the fields of mental health and spiritual warfare, a medical doctor, board certified in neurology, psychiatry, and family medicine. He is also a psychiatrist for the Roman Catholic Diocese of Orange, Ministry of Healing and Deliverance. Now, Dr. Luis Sandoval. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. Let's keep that in mind today, folks, as we talk about what's going on here in our church. There's still so much confusion, still so much frustration and anger uh, that was left after this uh, document came out of Fiducia Suplicans. How can we think about it as a church? I got a lot of people with a lot of Catholic anxiety. Well, let's go ahead and get started with a prayer here at the beginning of the show. And today we're going to do our most, um, I would say our most important prayer the one that was taught to bring us peace. Let's say in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You know, most beautiful prayer, one, because it was taught by Jesus himself, so it's got to be perfect. Um, the the components of it are perfect. And at the end of the day, it brings us peace. It asks God to please deliver us from all that is evil. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. That is 1 Corinthians. St. Paul reminds us of that. Chapter 14, verse 33. Again, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 33. I thought it was important to look up some of the verses about peace and about the Holy Spirit, what things mean. Like I've been telling my uh, audiences here, I really want to focus on the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit is bringing to the church. What is of the Spirit? You know, the document like Fiducia Suplicans, it's come out. There's been so much commentary on it. There's been so much... Um, Frustration, really, more than anything else, uh, is what I hear from a lot of people. Other people praising it as something that it might not be. Um, and that's where the the question of why so much confusion of this document, um, what was the goal, what was the purpose? You know, one of my favorite career positions before uh, I became a physician is I used to be a teacher, actually. I used to teach at different levels, but I taught at high school. That was one of the funnest places to teach. I used to teach sciences. Um, but one of the favorite courses that I ever took, uh, you know, in my academic career were in the humanities. So one of them was, you know, just an English literature class where you could explore different authors and see what was the goal? What was the book? What does message do, do things convey? And obviously, the result of this document has been a lot of confusion. Some people will say, well, just read the document. You know, reading comprehension goes a long way. Um, didn't you see what it said? It didn't say that things were approved. It didn't say that anything changed. But at the same time, the message conveyed by, whether it be the media at the time that the document came out, um, was that the church was changing its stance on uh, homosexuality and, and, and gay unions and marriages and couples and the way it was going to present um, blessings as the as the document specifies one of the challenges was that is that that was the message that was conveyed by a lot of people maybe they didn't read the document 
or maybe they did read the document and they read it in that way i think it's just written in such a way that it, that you can kind of make of it what you want if you don't know the specifics of the church teachings of where the document was supposed to be coming from and the message it was supposed that it was supposed to convey you're going to run into challenges because it's going to be open to interpretation how do we know that well it was open to interpretation even within the church um i would have to ask you know the cardinal what was your goal in writing this you know what was the purpose i mean if we take a step back should i worry about it you know it really wasn't written for uh lay people it was a a uh, document written for the priests uh letting them know according to the cardinal or according to the uh vatican that they could do what they were already doing because nothing had changed uh yet the document notes that in order to write the document they consulted a lot of different experts a lot of different uh people i would wonder who are these experts nothing has changed why do you need to consult experts you know as a former teacher if i were an english teacher i would say this is a good rough draft you've got a lot of good points in there but you need to finalize this document because the way it's read this isn't clear this isn't clear i know what you're trying to say and this is what english teachers do all the time really good english teachers they'll read it and they'll say i know the message you're trying to convey here i understand i can read between the lines i see what you're saying but you need to clarify it in fact you need to um, cite your sources if we look at the document there's a lot of citations but a lot of the citations are just based on things or prior documents from pope francis as a church i would say if i were the if i were the english teacher i would say you got to go back and how about you cite the bible how about you cite the catechism where are the citations for that where is this message coming from where is this in terms of following with the church now if this is a message for priests and not for the lay people why roll it out the way it was rolled out what's your purpose of rolling it out in that way why not just send an email a memo um to the priests and let them know hey guys you know this is what's going on the bishop send it to the bishops remind your priest that when it comes to blessings we can be uh we can have a pastoral blessing um you know for different couples depending on how they present uh, let's make sure that it's not scandalous and that it doesn't look like um it's a marriage or anything along those lines that's great but when you put out a big paper like that you know what does it really look like does it look like this is not part of a liturgical church sanctioned paper um that's kind of the message that's going to be conveyed how do we know because the media is going to run with it you know as an english teacher i would have said well who's your audience who are you writing to if it's not for the whole world why are you publishing it for the whole world if it's just for the priests and their bishops why not just send them an individual um message you know there's lots of questions going on with that and that's where it's very fair for people to be confused if anybody says oh there's no confusion out there you're reading it wrong you're looking at this the wrong way no you know you could you could say that but the reality is we gotta look at the facts we gotta look at what was the fruit of this document has the church been left in a better position for it because all of a sudden you have news media outlets interviewing people saying hey i'm glad the church changed their position we have politicians saying you know now that the church has changed their position uh this is the way i view things which according to the church that's not the case but then as a teacher i would have to say this as well let's say that i was using this as a teaching 
opportunity and I was, you know, giving a lesson to the class and I gave him a lesson. We went through the lesson and the whole class is confused or, you know, gosh, I gave the test and the grades came back and half the class got A's, half the class failed. Something got lost in translation there. Something was missing and it wasn't the class's fault necessarily. I would have to go back and say, wait, I don't think they got the point of the lesson. I don't think I taught that correctly. If this document is supposed to bring us peace or is supposed to be pastoral and clarify things, but it causes many of bishops, bishops to be in turmoil, then we've got to ask ourselves, hey, you know, did the lesson, was this a good lesson? Was it a good, a good class? Or does the teacher have to go back and clarify? And if the teacher has to go back and clarify multiple, multiple times, then we got to start looking at the lesson itself and say, is this something right or not? Is, is this lesson clear? Is this lesson in line with what I'm really trying to teach here? Um, are people misinterpreting it or is it, is it me as a teacher who kind of messed it up? The problem here, folks, is that there's not a whole lot of peace. You know, there's, there's too much going on that's leaving the church in confusion, not feeling good and making Catholics who want to be faithful to the magisterium of the church who want to be faithful to the teachings that Christ left us, wondering, how can I do that? I was reading this uh, passage from the Bible. This reminded me a little bit about what we need to think about as we read anything um, in terms of our faith. This is from Matthew chapter 7, verse 15 through 20. You will know them by their fruits. Jesus says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs or thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. My question is, what kind of a fruit? is this document producing that's what we really got what we have to ask ourselves you know is the church better off if nothing changed if this document was merely to clarify something that was already approved if this document was meant to really help the faith of the uh priest or help uh, or instruct priests to help people in their journey towards christ then i would say Keep the document for the priest. If you're going to put out a document like this and really make it for the public, there's a lot of confusion because, again, if I were a teacher, I would say you need to define your terms here. You know, you mentioned big terms like irregular couples or irregular unions. Define that. Give me some examples. Give me some concrete examples because you're leaving that very much open to interpretation. And that's not what your goal is, right? Your goal is to define this and to say very specific situations uh, can these blessings occur. It didn't occur that way. I would say we need some clarification. Is it possible that there can be some pastoral things and that there are very much a regular situation? Yeah, I've seen it. I, I've un I understand it. I've, I've seen I understand what the document is trying to say. I also understand the result and the fruit of this document. Well, folks, looking back from the break, I'm going to give you an example of what I know to be sometimes in a regular situation where lessons are necessary, even though the church more after the break.
All right, folks, welcome back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You know, so much confusion out there, so much frustration among our uh, Catholic community, in our Catholic community, uh, in terms of this document that came out a couple weeks ago. And um, really, more than anything else, I'm not worried about the document itself. I'm worried more about the fallout. But let's look at this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And that is from Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 to 23, the fruit of the Spirit. We have a lot of good things here. You know, let's read that again because let's look at these. I mean, I read that through that kind of quickly. But the fruit of the Spirit, meaning the Holy Spirit, is love joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Oh, my dog's not in the Holy Spirit right now. Through those again, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You know, that's why I want to focus on the Holy Spirit. I need more of that in my life. I think we all need more of that in our lives. It's interesting um, because unfortunately, Right now, it doesn't feel that way in the church. It feels like there's a lot of turmoil, a lot of people uh, frustrated, wondering where the church is navigating. Well, one of the things that I would say is this. Let's keep in mind, especially for us lay people, that this document technically wasn't geared towards us. I'm not responsible for the blessings of couples or not couples or anything along those lines. Um, this was really geared toward the priests. I'm going to let them figure it out and realize that uh, for them, they can be in very, very challenging, difficult situations with different parishioners, um, with different uh, situations we put ourselves in as human beings, either knowingly or unknowingly. It can be inadvertent where you are in a frustrated, frustrated place where all of a sudden there's a lot of gray area. You know, when we look at the catechism, when we look at the commandments, when we look at the words of Christ, who tells us, let your yes be yes and your no be no. It's very black and white. You know, there, we know what's right. We know what's wrong. We know um, what God wants of us. We know when we're not following it. And yet, being human beings, being broken, being imperfect, we find ourselves somewhere in between the black and the white. And we live in this gray area where we wonder, wait, was that right or not? Was that correct or not? Was that, how would God look at this? I'm not exactly sure. And it's a challenging position to be in. Dr. Sandoval, come on. What are you talking about? You know, just follow the commandments. It's easy. How how would you, if you can just follow the commandments, do your prayers, do what's right, you're not going to find yourself in any state of confusion. Well, we're human beings, and sometimes we're put in a state of confusion um, or put in a challenging situation through no, no fault of our own at times. Many times it is our own fault. But we can be in these situations where all of a sudden we're not sure what to do. Let me give you an example. So one of the jobs I had, other than being a teacher back in my old days, or my young days, uh, I used to work at a church. I used to work at the, at the front office of a church. And I remember talking to a priest and, you know, being a young little smart alecky guy and trying to do the black and white argument and say, you know, this is this and this is the way things should be and whatnot. And, you know, this is what's right and this is what's wrong. And we look at the catechism, we look at the Bible, and why would it be so challenging to make it to heaven at that point? And he looked at me, and obviously this priest had some experience. 
um, which is what I didn't have. I didn't have that knowledge that he had um, about meeting different people in different places and different times. Um, and he told me this story. He said, you know, I see what you're saying. He's all, absolutely, that, you know, that's true. That this is what we hold to be true. Um, he said, but you're going to come upon situations in life where you're not exactly going to know what to do. And he said, you know, there was a lady one time who came to me and she said, Father, I don't know what to do. I, I want to be holy, but I live in sin. Well, gosh, you live in sin. Tell me what that means. Again, as a teacher, I would say define the terms. Well, I live in sin with my husband. Mm, sounds like an irregular situation. Let's define the irregular situation here. What, what do you mean you live in sin with your husband? How is that possible? And he said, automatically, I thought she was going to say they use birth control or something along those lines. He said, well, this would be, you know, quick fix. And I'll just tell her, you know, you got to follow the church. Why don't you find a doctor who knows how to do NFP or go to the NFP courses that are offered at the diet? He already had his lesson. He's, he told me, you know, I, I already knew what I was going to tell her because I assumed that that was the situation. But that was not the situation. So he says, okay, so you live in sin with your husband. Explain that to me. And she said, well, she said, I immigrated from Central America. Um, and I came to the country here looking for a better place. You know, Central America is very poor. Uh, we didn't have a lot of money and, and there's much more prosperity here in the United States. And my husband, he also immigrated from Central America and I met him here and we got married and we have a couple of kids now. And, um, you know, and I do my best. I come to church every Sunday and all these things, but, uh, um, I found something out and I'm not happy about it at all. Father's like, well, so far it doesn't sound like there's, you're doing anything wrong. You came to the United States. You're looking for a better life. He came to the United States looking for a better life. You got married. Okay. So what's, what's the problem? You have two kids. Why are you living in sin? And she said, and this is, you know, a byproduct sometimes of immigration. It happens. It's not uncommon at all. She said, well, I came to find out that what my husband didn't tell me is that he was already married and he left his family in Central America. And he has children back there and a wife who he supports. He came here to this country looking for uh, a better life, making more money. But the idea was that he was going to get that money, save it, send some back to the family while he was here, save some money, and then go back to his country when he had enough to be with his family and be able to live there. You know, he came from a place that even though there was a lot of poverty, it wasn't exactly war-torn. And uh, he could survive there with his family and they could have a nice life. But I found out that he has a whole different family. What am I going to do? Am I living in sin now? I married him, not knowing this. I married him thinking that it was just he and I, that we were uh, going into a holy marriage. And she said, we even got married in the church here because they didn't have any documentation of his family back in Central America. Is my marriage even valid? Is it not valid? I went into it validly. I wanted to get married. I wanted to follow the precepts of the church. And obviously, he didn't really seem to care. He didn't uh, um, ever tell me the truth. He has a family back there who he obviously disrespected. And now he has two families. Not uncommon in the in the immigration population, I'll tell you that, especially here in Southern California. It happens all the time. I hear about it all the time. But how many times do people actually recognize that this could be an impediment uh, from a spiritual perspective. These are, this lady was placed in a position where 
wow, this is kind of a gray area here. You know, we could take the position of, well, you have to leave him. Well, no, they have children. She has a family with him here. Well, he has to go back to his family in Guatemala, or I think it was Guatemala where they came from. He's got to go back to his family in Guatemala. And she said, you know, well, but what about his family here? This is a very, very, very challenging situation. What do you do with this? You know, this man created the situation. He did not stay black and white, shall we say, uh, in terms of saying, I'm married, I have a family, and that's my sole uh, focus. My family back home, who I came here with a purpose. Nope, he came here and he met someone else. Uh, it's one of the dangers of immigration, too, you know, separation of families, uh, being in different places, feeling, uh, shall we say, I, I don't know his situation. I'd have to ask him, was he lonely? What, did he not care? I don't know. I can, we can speculate, but ultimately we don't know. The challenging part is what do we do for this lady? Is she allowed to receive Holy Communion? She wants to receive Holy Communion. She didn't go into this union, um, you know, thinking that she was going to be in a state of sin or placed in this very gray area. Is she in a state of sin? This she didn't. She didn't look for this. She didn't do this uh, knowingly. There were a lot of questions that were not uh, going to be answered uh, because of the situation that this that her husband created. Does she deserve a blessing? Absolutely. Can you bless them together? You know, this is where a lot of people might have some issues where they might say, well, you can't bless them as a couple because that's not really his wife. His wife is back in Guatemala. You can bless them. But what is the situation here? Are they a husband and wife? Are they married? I mean, it's not valid, right? But then she went into it badly, but then he did not. And are the children legitimate, not legitimate? You know, there's just so many questions that come up that obviously a canon lawyer would look more into it. And you could look at, do you need to get an annulment and separate the situation? Is If it's not even a marriage, you don't even have to worry about the annulment. But this is a tricky situation. What do you do? What does this woman do? How do you bring the love of Christ to this woman who is saying, I, I want a blessing. I'm asking for you to please pray for me, to please help me because I, I don't know what to do in this situation. Those are those cases where I would say, Gosh, blessings all around there because you need the help of God. Who knows what's going to happen there? We need to sit down with this, um, with our husband and say, what are you doing? Now you got two families to support. How does that even work? You know, it's a challenging situation. I understand situations like that. However, the document did not clarify, did not define irregular situations um, necessarily. Uh, did not say these extreme cases. Uh, how do we know that? Because it could have been interpreted in different ways. One well, way that it was interpreted, Father James Martin right away said, hey, I'm going to start blessing all of my uh, friends in uh, in same-sex marriage, same-sex, uh, all the same-sex couples, uh, the same-sex unions, all my friends. I can't wait to start doing those blessings. And he did it in a very formal, non-spontaneous way. Uh, how do we know that it wasn't spontaneous? Well, he took an, a photo op with a newspaper. And obviously that's not, if it's spontaneous, there shouldn't be anybody around taking pictures, right? How would anybody know if it's spontaneous? It's just in the moment. And unless you have your cell phone uh, picture, that's fine. But why would you, uh, you know, make it uh, to a newspaper? Why would you publicize it? It's not supposed to cause any scandal. It's not supposed to look like it's something formal. But if it's in a newspaper, that's pretty formal. Right? That's something that made the headlines. 
this is the challenge with the document that it's left open to interpretation in in, uh, in different ways and this is where you know i could understand why it would have been better rolled out with just letting the bishops know to talk to their priest and decide hey what do we do with these challenging situations let's define the challenging situations but at the same time the document didn't go through the proper channels card Wheeler tells us hey this didn't even go through the proper channels of the dicastery it didn't it didn't go through the councils it didn't go through the meetings to make sure that we author it uh that we authorize it that we approve of it correctly so that's a bigger challenge right there i think that's that's where a lot of the confusion comes from you know who authorized it? Who 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 authored it? Who was it really? Uh, uh, the Cardinal uh, Fernandez? Did he on his own do this? Was there any meeting? You know, if it comes from the magisterium, the magisterium is not just one person. Uh, the Pope himself is not the magisterium of the Church. It's the Pope, the Cardinals, the bishops got to get together and decide what is right and what is wrong according to the laws of Christ, not the laws of man. So we do find that there are these challenging situations. We do find that there are times where we can't necessarily explain how we mess up as humans. We hope for God's mercy in those particular cases. When we come back from the break, let's focus on the Holy Spirit and what can we do when we have these challenging situations. All right, folks. So welcome back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You're listening to the Dr. Sandoval Show. Today we're talking about what do we do in the midst of the turmoil. Really, what was the upheaval of this document, Fiducia Suplicans? Was it really that it said that um, there was going to be blessings for um, homosexual unions? Well, use the word couple, cause a lot of confusion. Was it really that it said that the church was now going to allow gay marriages? Well, no, it didn't say that. I think the confusion comes from not so much the document itself, but it comes from the spirit of the document. You know, when we look back and we always see when did the church start to change um, after, you know, so many years of the Latin Mass, after so many traditions that the church had, well, we had a Council of Vatican II. And if you ever read through the Vatican II documents, they're actually beautiful documents. There's nothing in them that's scandalous or bad. There's also nothing in them that says, that the church needed to change specifically as it changed. It didn't say anything about getting rid of the Latin mass. It didn't say anything about getting rid of altar rails. It didn't say anything along those lines. Yet all these things happened and occurred. Why? And then so many things happened in the church because it was in the spirit of Vatican II. It was the spirit of Vatican II. I think the biggest fear from the congregation after reading a document such as this that can be interpreted obviously in multiple ways. And how do we know that? Well, bishops in Africa rejecting it completely, the uh, other bishops not saying anything, um, other bishops saying that it's mandatory in Ireland and that you cannot deny this to their priest. You know, so much confusion, so much back and forth. Bishop against bishop, cardinal against cardinal. Why? Because I think a lot of things are going to be done in the spirit of fiducia supplicans. Well, you know, in the spirit of this document, um, that means that we can maybe allow blessings in the church now. Uh, you know, maybe we can, I know that you're asking for a spontaneous blessing, but why don't we go in front of the tabernacle to do it so that we can do that, you know. Well, the document said nothing formal, nothing that looked like an actual sacrament. Um, but in the spirit, you know, we start to look at things like that. We start to get 
deeper into the gray, closer to the, the the black side of things instead of closer to the white side of things. And that's, I think, the biggest challenge. That's what's causing the anxiety. That's where I think from our spiritual well-being in terms of the mental health of our soul, we want clarity. The soul wants black and white. The soul wants to get closer to God. The soul wants to know that even if it's in a gray area, such as the lady I spoke about uh, before the break, who is in a difficult situation where her marriage is in turmoil, and she found out that her husband actually had a family before, a second family, um, you know, her soul was in, in turmoil because she wanted to move closer to the white side of the of the middle gray there and the dark side. She wanted to move in the right direction. She wanted some guidance towards the truth. And I think that that's really the bottom line of the documents causing that much confusion worldwide. Where are we going to, where is it going to stand? Where is it going to lead? Are we going to get some clarification towards the truth? Or are we going to leave it in a very gray area where so many things can be interpreted in the spirit of fiducia supplicants? That's, I think, the biggest challenge. That's where you're going to start to see uh, further confusion and conflict uh, between bishops, between cardinals, uh, and really leaving the laity um, feeling some upheaval. Well, what can we do, folks? What can we do in light of all this? Because it's a little bit challenging to to feel like, where, what direction is my church heading? Well, I think that that's the question of the day. I would say this, what direction is my church heading in? Hmm. And by my church, you know, I don't necessarily mean the Vatican itself. I mean, I got to look at myself inward. Why? Because we are temples of the Holy Spirit, my church, my heart. What direction is it moving in? Is it moving towards the teachings of the perennial teachings of the Catholic faith? Or am I going to leave it in confusion? There's not much I can do about what comes out of the Vatican necessarily, but I can always compare it to what is that? How does that compare to what Jesus taught? How does that read in the Bible? What are uh, my obligations as a Catholic about this document? If somebody asks me questions, I'll be happy to clarify as I understand this as a Catholic. Um, you know, technically this document really doesn't change anything. It really talks about very rare situations um, where people really do want to make their life better, want recognize that they might be in a um, union that's not correct. Gosh, maybe I was divorced, remarried, and uh, now I, my my uh, new wife and I recognize that, you know, we're not living in a, in a good place. I need to move uh, forward. We're going to, we're no longer going to be living like a couple. We're going to uh, live like brother and sister. Uh, we're in a challenging situation because we bought a house together, can't separate it. We have children now as well. You know, it sounds very similar to this lady. What am I going to do with that? You know, do I leave this person and go back to my original wife and, and family? You know, start living like brother and sister. I'm going to start following the faith as best I can. I find myself in this gray area. I mean, we have a lot of divorced and remarried people who, you know, does the church actually specifically say to them, hey, you can't be living like this. This is this is a sin. Not always, you know. I mean, how many times has, have we heard that from the pulpit? Not too many times. I haven't heard too many priests say specifically, if you are in the situation, do not come up for communion. Let's have a counseling session and see what we can do for you. I've never heard that. 
I've never heard that from a priest. Um, so we do find ourselves in these gray areas. It's it's a challenging situation. We'd like to hear that more. We want that clarification because there's too much anxiety and upheaval in our world already. And I think we need more of that guidance. You know, what do we do for for us lay people who might not be in those situations? This is where I look at my church and my internal church. I'm going to read again from this book that I've been reading, The Sanctifier. Again, Archbishop Luis M. Martinez, a sanctifier, it's a work on the Holy Spirit. It's a constant reminder of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Listen to this. Now the scripture tells us very definitively that we are temples of the Holy Spirit. St. Paul says, do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells within you? That's 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. That's the temple that I'm going to look at. That's the church I'm going to look at. Am I in order? Am I putting my church in order? Am I doing things towards getting closer to God? Or am I doing things that I know that I shouldn't be doing? Can I stop doing those things today? I probably should stop because that's what's going to keep me from getting a good place in heaven. That's what's going to keep me from being at peace. That's what's just going to cause turmoil in my life if I do things that are going to lead me away from God versus getting closer to God. Listen to this. This is a beautiful paragraph because with Fiducia Suplicans, obviously we're focusing on the sacrament of marriage. If I'm going to look inward and if I'm going to start with improving myself, I actually want to look at the sacrament of baptism. I got to remember when I was baptized, what happened? What was that all about? Why did that even happen? What That sets us on the course to begin with, folks. That's what sets us on the course to say, hey, you were baptized as a Catholic, what are you going to do about it? What does that mean to you? Does it even mean anything? Well, better listen to this beautiful paragraph. We are consecrated to be temples of the Holy Spirit on the day of our baptism. That's when it starts. That's what I want to focus on. Regardless of what document comes out of the Vatican, I was consecrated to be the temple of the Holy Spirit on the day of my baptism. This hopefully is therapy for our Catholic souls. When we hear turmoil, you know, all around us, when we see bishops getting upset and uh, documents coming out that are confusing, I got to go back. I got to push that noise away and say, wait a minute, what's this all about? What does this have to do with me getting closer to heaven? How is my temple doing? I'm a temple of the Holy Spirit. I was baptized. What does that mean for me? This is clearly set down in the ritual prescribed for the administration of the sacrament. The priest breathes three times in the face of the one who is going to be baptized and says, go out from him, unclean spirit, and give place to the most holy spirit. That's right. There is an exorcism at our baptism. Every time we, uh, a child is baptized, well, they, they change a little bit, but uh, officially there should be an exorcism at the baptism. The priest is saying, get out. We don't want evil here. You know, we need to make room for the Holy Spirit. You're going to be consecrated to the Holy Spirit. You're going to be baptized. That's what means something. That's what turns us into uh, Catholics, children of God in that moment. And it seals us. There is a mark on our soul that says, this soul belongs to God. What am I going to do about that? It says, and making the sign of the cross on the forehead and breast, he says, be faithful to the heavenly precepts, and may your actions be such that you may now enter the temple of God. It says, in the latter exorcism, he orders the devil to go out from the creature of God, whom the Lord has designed to call 
in order that he may become a temple of the living God and the Holy Spirit may dwell in him. This is what's important, folks. This is what we need to remember. <clears throat> There's not much I can do. I have no power over the dicastery of the faith. I have no power over what cardinals are going to say or not say. But you know what I do have power over? Getting myself over to that confessional line and saying, am I living up to the expectations of my baptism? I am a child of God. That means something. Am I practicing my faith in such a way that I can focus on being a child of God? That I can recognize that if I am a child of God, what does that mean in terms of how I should live my life? What should I do about it? Do I need to be mean to people around me? Do I need to be kind to people around me? Does anything that comes out come out of the Vatican change that? No, because we follow Christ. At the end of the day, we're all human. We're going to make mistakes. You know, I know that there was so many things that came out about the books that uh, Cardinal Fernandez wrote and that they're not uh, um, exactly appropriate. Well, they're not appropriate at all. And I wouldn't recommend anybody reading his prior works. But this is where the confusion, I'm not going to judge him, but it makes you wonder where the heart of a man is. I mean, was it different now than it was before? I know that he's saying that he didn't agree anymore with some of the things that he wrote. But if you do get your hands on that, that can be scandalous. We got to remember who we are. It's scandalous to read literature that's less than appropriate, less than moral, coming from a man of the cloth, coming from a priest, a bishop, a cardinal, anything along those lines. We expect that they're going to follow the morality of the Catholic Church. But guess what, folks? We got to challenge ourselves and we got to live up to that standard ourselves. We have to make sure that before I judge anybody, I'm not there to be his his judge at all. I'm I'm I need to focus myself on sitting on that judgment seat before God because God's not going to ask me on that judgment seat. Hey, tell me about this other person's sin. What do you think about that? No, God's going to say, "How did you live your life? You were baptized." You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Well, folks, we're going to look at how do we do that best when we come back from the break in order for us to make sure that we are focused on our home. All right, folks, welcome back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You're listening to the Dr. Ken Walshaw. Today we're talking about how can we do things in the spirit of the Holy Trinity and not in the spirit of any ideologies, man-made doctrines, um, man-made suggestions that are not in line or may not seem to be in line uh, on the face of it with the teachings of the church. I'm not saying that, you know, if you read the document, Fiducia Suplicans, you can read the document and it specifies many, many very, very good things. However, in there, it also, it is weaved with a wording that might not be clear. It is weaved with things that we wish that we could clarify. And I think that that's the biggest challenge. But what I would say is, let's keep our temples of the Holy Spirit. Let's keep ourselves in the spirit of the Holy Trinity. You know, I'm not worried about the spirit of Vatican II. I'm not going to worry about the spirit of Fiducius um, Suplicans. What I need to worry about is, where is the spirit of Christ in my heart? How do I start that? Well, I'll tell you what, from a mental health perspective, uh, I get a lot of calls or, you know, different people asking advice based on their challenging situations, based on irregular situations. One of them, um, especially for men, is I see that, and this is, you know, I, I love talking to men about our Catholic faith because what I see in our current age is that we need more masculinity, that we need more of a sense of, you know, how can I be a man? How can I be a man of God? Well, what I usually tell people is, 
you're already a man. God already made you a man. You know, you might have been a boy at one point. You've hopefully matured and you're a man. Whether you like it or not, it's going to happen uh, that you go from a boy to a man. You go through puberty and that's what it is. It is manhood. The question is, what do you want to do about it? A lot of times as guys were worried about, well, that's when I became a man. How do you know when you become a man? How do you know these things? We're asking it from a social point of view. From a biological point of view, you can say, well, you went through puberty. You're already a man. From a moral point of view, when do you become a man? I would say as a Catholic, as a Catholic man, when you recognize that I need to be submissive to God's will, I need to align my will with God's will, I need to pray and recognize that I'm not perfect, and I need to look at what does God want um, from my life. And that's what I need to follow, even when it's hard. How do I know that? Because that's what Christ did. When Christ was praying at the Garden of Gethsemane, throughout his whole life, he said, I'm here to do the mission of my Father. The Garden of Gethsemane, he says, let this cup pass me by. I don't want to do this. He says, I don't want to you know, gosh, this is going to be hard. I'm scared. I don't want to do this at all. But your will be done, not mine. I think that that's when we recognize our manhood before God, because we're going to recognize that our strength is really coming from Him. Well, how do we even get started? You know, I hear different situations. I had a uh, gentleman call me one time, and this sounds familiar. It's, it's not unique, um, but he was telling me how he was obsessed with pornography. That's a big thing for guys right now is, you know, this obsession with pornography. And really, more than anything else, obsession with pornography, a lot of people see it and say, gosh, guys are, you know, just, they can't control themselves. This is really um, a guy thing. And in fact, guys like it. So what are they complaining about? No, the reality is guys don't want to be trapped to this. I'd rather go do something else. I'd rather go fishing. I'd rather go camping. I'd rather go hiking. I'd rather have my mind focus on something else. In fact, Sometimes when I used to prescribe medication to people who, which sometimes had a side effect of decreasing the libido and decreasing those thoughts um, geared towards um, sexuality or even illicit sexuality or whatnot, guys would say, oh man, that actually feels really good. I don't, I don't have this on my mind anymore. It, it, it just bothered me before all the time. Now I'm feeling like I'm free from that. And sometimes medications will, um, will have that side effect. Uh, but you know, for guys, again, I got a call, gosh, I've, I've been addicted to uh, pornography for a long time and it's affecting my marriage. You know, this is what I look at with, you've got an irregular situation here. You know, you got a guy who he is, his, his mind is geared towards, um, other women, virtual women, fake women on the internet or not fake women, but you know, people on the internet who he's never going to know. Some guys will be obsessed with going to, um, you know, gentlemen clubs, as they call them, illicit places, or even seeking out uh, prostitutes. But the majority of guys are just saying, look, I'm not trying to be with another woman. I just am obsessed with pornography um, and I don't know how to get rid of it. You know, we have these situations. What do we do in that case? Well, the first thing I would say is assuming that, you know, you want to get on the right track. This is where we look at our the temple of our spirit. How is my union with my wife if we're married? If I'm single, am I living out a chaste life if I'm single? How can I get out of an irregular situation uh, so that I can present myself for a true blessing so that I can go to confession if I need to and make an honest confession of where I'm at in my life? That's what we need to focus on. But Dr. Sandoval, how do I even get started? How do I focus on my life? How do I move forward? 
you know, I'm obsessed with uh, pornography right now. What do I do with that? Uh, or gosh, maybe I'm having an affair or I've had affairs and my wife knows about it and she doesn't trust me now. How do I um, make sense of that? You know, all this confusion about I can focus on this document. Oh, no, you know, same sex marriage is this and that. Well, how much is that going to change your life right now is what I would ask. It's important to make sure that the church, to ask the church to please teach us clearly, to please let us remind us, I should say, of the teachings of Christ and how does that apply to the world to please teach morality, even if it's challenging uh, or it's not going to be popular with the world. Christ said he wasn't meant to be popular with the world. He reminds us that if he was treated poorly, if your master was treated poorly, how are you going to be treated? Gosh, you can't expect to be loved by the world. You can't serve the world. What good is it to gain the world and lose your soul, he tells us. So these are the important things to consider. But if I do find myself struggling how to get my own temple back on the right track, what can I do? I always tell people, you know, we got to go back to the basics as Catholic. This is Catholic Mental Health 101. <clears throat> it's not like we don't have a guideline. It's not like we don't have things that we can do. You know, you can go from a therapy point of view. People come to mental health services and you're going to send them to therapy for this or for that. And gosh, I'm going to send you to a specialist who understands um you know, history of trauma, or I'm going to send you to a specialist who understands uh, depression. I'm going to send you, you know, we have all these specialists uh, that we can go to. What about in the Catholic faith? You know, I feel like I haven't been doing good by my soul. What can I do? What can I, what can I, uh, what can I do in my life? How can I change it? <clears throat> let's go back to the basics. What does the catechism teach? What does, let's go back to what we believe. It's always important. You know, I, that's what I always, uh, tell people to get their life back on the right track if they feel like they're off. I always personally start with the works of mercy. You know, I think it's a forgotten practice. I, again, it's one of those things that I don't hear preach from the pulpit anymore, but it's very much in our catechism and our, uh, or if you go back to the Baltimore catechism, very basic bread and butter. <clears throat> if you go to our catechism, it's in there. You're going to find these works of mercy, but let's go through them and see what these works are. Why do I like the works of mercy? Because it forces us to look outward, to stop thinking about ourselves, to stop worrying so much about, oh my goodness, what am I doing? Look at me, look how bad I am. Um, what have I done? Uh, why do I keep going to pornography? Why? And, it, and it makes you take action to go do something else. You know, that's one of those things that if you've ever uh, been counseled or experienced post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, you can... Um, one of the, the, there's different things you can do, you know, as, as a physician, you can always prescribe medication for the person. But one of the most important things that we see in PTSD, um, especially if it comes from uh, an unexpected uh, circumstance, such as a, a natural disaster, like a hurricane ripped through somewhere or a big earthquake ripped through somewhere, we say one of the most important things that you can do is start building, start becoming part of the rebuilding process. Even if it means sweeping in front of your house, cleaning up the debris, cleaning the sidewalk, something, if you start doing that, that actually starts to help the mind heal. It makes you part of something greater. If we feel like we've been traumatized by things that come out of the out of the Vatican, or we've been traumatized by what we hear um, the Pope say, or, or a Cardinal say, or anything along those lines, how can I get better? Be part of the healing process get out there and start sweeping up the church. And one of the ways to do that is the works of mercy. Let's go through the spiritual works of mercy first, um, because sometimes those are 
uh, actually, you know what? Let's go through the physical works, the, the corporal works of mercy, the physical works of mercy. Those are sometimes easier to do uh, because it's actually something that's tangible. And then we can, if time permits today, we can do the spiritual works of mercy. If not, we'll do those next time. But this is how we heal. How do we heal from this? We go to feed the hungry. What can I do? Feed the hungry is one of them. Let's read through them and then look at each one individually. Feed the hungry. Give water to the thirsty. Clothe the naked. Visit the homeless. Visit the sick. Visit the imprisoned or ransom the captive and bury the dead. Can we do these works of mercy? Gosh, you know what? The church is putting out documents that I'm confused about. I hear all these cardinals fighting. My soul is in upheaval. What can I do? You know what? I'm going to see what's here right around me that I can do. I'm going to see what's, where are there, are there hungry people out there? Do I have extra cans of food in my pantry that I'm not using? Is there a food drive somewhere? I'm just going to go do that act. God tells us that by these acts, we can actually improve our soul. But do we believe it? Do we have faith in that? Give water to the thirsty. You know, these are the corporate works of mercy. Clothe the naked. How about I clean my house? How about I go through my house and say, hey, let me clean up here and see what I have. I've got extra food. I've got clothes I'm not wearing. Why don't I give these to the poor? Why don't I find a St. Vincent de Paul? Where can I do this? Once I give these clothes away, once I give this, is, is that such a big deal? Do I expect to feel better? If in my heart, I want to help improve the lives of those around me, if I start thinking of those who have less than what I have, yes, you're going to improve your spiritual strength. You're going to improve the state of your soul. You're going to start to recognize that I need to think about others before I just think about myself. Those are the important things to consider. Um, shelter the homeless. You know, we have a homeless crisis going on in so many different cities in the United States. Have we looked at how can we help people who are homeless? Are there organizations out there who are helping to shelter them? Can I be a part of that? These are all physical. They can translate into the spiritual as well. But let's keep going and see here. Visit the sick. Now, that can be a little bit more challenging if we say, well, I can't really go to the hospital nowadays because they don't, they really don't have visitors like they used to, third parties, people so still worried about COVID and masking. They might not let me in to just go visit sick people. But do we have family members who are sick? Do we have family members who are not doing well? Do we know friends who are not doing well? Are we spending time with them and talking to them? Visit the imprisoned or ransom the captive. Do we ever know family members who are in jail? Do you know, obviously there's a lot of people in jail. A lot of people have family members in our own family. Do we know anybody who, who might be in jail? Can we write them a letter? Can we just say hello to them? Can we just let them know that they're being prayed for? You know, things along those lines. Bury the dead. It's a little bit challenging. It's a corporal work of mercy. But, you know, in reality, you know, it, it might not have an active funeral, but we can actually go and go to the cemetery. I can see all these things and I can turn them into spiritual works. One way to bury the dead might be to go to the cemetery and actually start praying for the souls in purgatory. Why not? Because are we done burying the dead just because they're in the ground or they were cremated? Not necessarily. This is, I think, the way we need to start thinking as Catholics. When we feel scandalized, ask myself, what can I do to clean up the church? What can I do to clean up my own soul? What can I do here and now?